Now, I'd like you to open your Bible again with me, please, at the portion of Scripture we read together in Romans chapter 1. We are going to take for our text a verse that is very, very familiar and well-known, but very, very important. Where the Apostle says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Very, very simply tonight, I want us to focus our attention upon the gospel of Christ. We will all be familiar with the truth that the gospel, of course, is the good news or the glad tidings. And that is what it was to the Apostle Paul. That is what it is to every child of God. That's what it can be to everyone who will put their faith and trust in Christ. It was good news to Adam and Eve that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. It was good news to Noah when God made known that he would destroy this world with a flood, but that he and his family should be saved in the ark. It was good news to the children of Israel when slaves to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt that God would break that Egyptian bondage by the leadership of one man, Moses, And lead them out from under the heel of a tyrant. Good news in the ears of Paul. For this wonderful gospel. That he had so relentlessly tried to drive out of existence. Actually conquered his heart. And his immortal soul was forever saved. How could the apostle Paul. After his mighty encounter with Christ on the Damascus road ever be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. A gospel that came from God. A gospel centered upon his son, Jesus Christ. A gospel that had revolutionized the life of Saul of Tarsus. Now, of course, Paul, who once sought to destroy that gospel, saved by it, is preaching this glorious message. He is now, of course, prepared to preach this message in Rome. Rome was a very proud city. It was a cesspool of every foul thing. And about three years after writing these words, the apostle arrives in Rome to preach the unsearchable riches of the gospel. We thank God tonight for the good news of the gospel. A gospel that many of us heard from childhood days. A gospel by which the Bible says we are saved. You and I live in days when we are bombarded by bad news. Every day through modern means of media. We hear of wars and rumors of wars. We hear of earthquakes. We hear of tsunamis and destruction and disasters and death on a massive scale. In days like these, 
It is important to hear some good news. And there's no greater news than the good news that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The children in the children's meeting sing, of course, good news, good news. Christ died for me. And that is the good news that Paul is proclaiming. And he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. This good news that Jesus died for us. There were many reasons, of course, why he was not ashamed of the gospel. There are many reasons why you and I should not be ashamed of the gospel. And I want to focus your attention on just but a few. First of all, he was not ashamed of the gospel because of the person of the gospel. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You see, the gospel that the Apostle Paul preached was not some ideology or philosophy or some theory of man. He says, writing to the church at Galatia, in Galatians chapter 1 and the verses 11 and 12, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by revelation of Jesus Christ. It was Christ who revealed the gospel. And it is Christ who is revealed in the gospel. Now thinking about the person of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to notice simply, first of all, but importantly, that he is the sinless one. Jesus Christ is the sinless lamb, the sinless son of God. Peter speaks of him in 1 Peter chapter 1 and the verse 19, that Christ was a lamb without spot and without blemish. Paul says of Christ that he knew no sin. And Peter again says he did no sin. And of course, that's very, very important. Over in the book of Hebrews, which I personally believe was penned by Paul, it says in chapter 7 and the verse 26, of Christ he is holy, he is harmless, he is undefiled, he is separate from sinners, he was made higher than the heavens. Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, knew no sin, did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. He could stand before the enemies and hostile leaders of his day and say, which of you can convince me of sin? And there wasn't one of them could open their mouth in honest condemnation of Christ. Every charge that was brought against the Son of God, it was a false charge. And Pilate knew that because, he, it says, he knew that for envy they had delivered him. And when they frog-marched the Lord Jesus Christ through the narrow streets of Jerusalem's old city and up and in before Pilate, and Pilate tried the Son of God, he went out to those people and he said, I find no fault in this man. He was the spotless Lamb of God, knew no sin. He, of course, never ever thought a wrong thought. He never ever spoke a wrong word. 
He never ever was out of step with the will of God. He never had to apologize for anything. He was never once too early and he was never once too late. His life was such an absolute marvel of holiness that Paul said of Christ, his life was a condemnation of sin in the flesh. He is the sinless one. You know, sometimes people will point an accusing finger into the face of God's people and we are not flawless. This preacher is not flawless. But I challenge you, unsaved person, to look at Christ and you will not find a flaw in him. He says, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Not only is he the sinless one, but then the Bible tells me that he was the suffering one. Isaiah puts it this way in that wonderful chapter, though written 700 years before Christ came into this world, no doubt it refers to the Savior when it says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. He says, I gave my back to the smiters my cheeks to those that plucked out the hair. I hid not my face from shame and from spitting. Oh, how Christ was wounded for us. Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, he cried. Let not that ransomed sinner die. None of the ransomed ever knew. How deep were the waters crossed, or how dark was the night that the Lord passed through, ere he found the sheep that was lost. Smitten of God, Isaiah says, and afflicted. You see, folks, there's a part of the sufferings of Christ that you and I cannot see. We can see at Calvary, man's inhumanity to man. As they smash their face in the sinless, smash their hand in the sinless face of Christ. As they pluck the cheek, the hair from his cheeks. As they spit upon him. As they put a crown of thorns upon him and a reed in his hand and they bow before him mockingly. We can see all that. But there's something we cannot see, folks. And Isaiah puts it this way. He was smitten of God and afflicted. Which literally means tonight that there on the cross, God lifted his rod of divine wrath laid it upon the back of his sinless son and punished our sins in him. For he who knew no sin became sin, was made sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Bearing shame, 
scoffing root. In my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a saviour. Is it any wonder Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That sinless one, that one who suffered as no one ever suffered before. Because folks, no one ever sorrowed like Christ. No one ever suffered like Christ. That day at Calvary, there were three crosses erected. And all three were crucified. The most painful type of capital punishment that could be meted out. But I must tell you tonight that the thieves on either side of Jesus, though they were crucified, they did not suffer as Jesus suffered. They suffered at the hands of sinful men, which Jesus also did. But they did not suffer at the hands of God when he punished our sins in him. And all the wrath of an angry God was poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ, wounded for me. There on the cross he was wounded for me. And we'll never understand the sight of eternity, the wounding of Christ. It says, they pierced my hand. And my feet. But then the apostle said. He loved me. And he gave himself for me. Folks. When we come to Calvary. What's it all about? Let me tell you what Calvary's about. It's about you. It's about you personally. It was for you he died. It was for you he bore the wrath of God. Can't you see the value of your soul that God would give the darling of his bosom to the hounds of hell for you? Because he loved you. But what have you done with him? But something else, folks, he was the substitutionary one. He was a silent one. Isaiah, in that same great chapter of 53 and verse 7, tells us that he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He has brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Somebody says something wrong about you and me. Oh, how quick we are to open our mouth and protest and go in in defense of ourselves. But every charge that was laid against the Son of God was a false charge, but he opened not his mouth. You see, he was born to die. He'd come to give his life a ransom for you. He had set his face as a flint to go to Jerusalem. There was no turning aside. There is a lamb to the slaughter. And he never uttered a word of protest. 
Oh, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free, but he didn't. For he came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. That necessitated his going to Calvary, laying down his life, shedding his blood, the ransom price of all our sin. And there he silently bore the wrath of God for us. Because he was the substitutionary one. Jesus had no sin of his own. Jesus was God. But he took our place. And he died for us. He was your substitute. He paid the price of your sin. He satisfied the demands of divine justice. You see, that day that Calvary's middle tree was erected, divine justice stepped forward, cried into the face of the sinless Son of God, pay me what thou owest. And Jesus paid with his very last drop of blood until divine justice cried out enough and God was forever satisfied. Now God Payment cannot twice demand, first at my hand, and then at the hand of his dear Savior, dear Son. What a substitute we have. And he was a sufficient one. You see, God's Lamb was slain. A sufficient sacrifice for sin. And on the cross he cried, finished. The work of redemption was complete. The person of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the all-sufficient Savior. Oh, I challenge you tonight to give him his rightful place in your heart. And you will discover, like the Apostle Paul, that he is the all-sufficiency of everything that your heart ever desired. What a Savior. No wonder Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I want you to notice in the second place, not only the person of the gospel, but the power of the gospel, because Paul says this, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That word power is very, very powerful. It is very, very important. For that word literally means force. It literally means dynamic or dynamite. The gospel is dynamic. Man, of course, in this world can wield great power. But sadly, that power is all too often harnessed to destruction. But God, he manifests his mighty power in bringing about the wonderful redemption and salvation in an individual's life. What power there is in the gospel of Christ. It is revolutionary. It is a life-changing power. And the apostle proved that on the Damascus road. 
when he set out for Damascus, he had no interest in but destroying the gospel. And then when he was confronted with a risen Christ, oh, what a change took place in his life. Little wonder John or Charles Wesley wrote that great hymn. He breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. And folks, I want to say this to you today. All prisoners are not shut up in a prison. There's many people in this community, and they are prisoners tonight, fettered and chained and bound and controlled by sin and by sinful habits. But this gospel can break the power of cancelled sin and set the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. Little wonder Fanny Crosby wrote, the vilest offender who truly believes this moment from Jesus a pardon received. Thinking about the power of the gospel, the Bible speaks of its strength. We read in Hebrews 7 and 25, Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Now, of course, we have often heard people say, and I have said it, and make no apology for it. And it is true that he saves from the guttermost to the uttermost. The vilest offender. But that word uttermost means more than that. Because the word uttermost means forever. He is able to save forever. No, no, this is not a gospel. Johnny Morrow, saved today, lost tomorrow. Not at all. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and 28 and 29, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. My friend, that's the gospel that Paul was not ashamed of. And I want to say to any who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, my friend, tonight if you come and put your trust in him, you can have eternal life. You can be absolutely sure beyond all doubt that you'll never be lost because the Bible says these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. Friend, do you know that eternal life? Oh, he goes on to say, my father, which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. That's the strength of the gospel. There is, of course, according to Paul, the scope of the gospel. He says it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone. That believeth. Now there's a qualifying word there, folks. Believeth. People say, I understand what they're saying. It's for the whosoever. It's not. And that's not what the Bible says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth 
That's what Paul's saying. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. My friend, you tonight can be saved very simply because of the scope of the gospel. You see, the Philippian jailer was brutal and cast Paul, uh, Paul and Silas into prison. And he beat them. But God has his wonderful way of dealing with us, hasn't he? And God turned his world upside down. And there was an earthquake. And of course, the prison doors were open and the chains fell off. And of course, he thought that they were all escaped and he was going to commit suicide and fall on his own sword. And he ran out and he... Paul said, do yourself no harm. We're all here. Trembling. He said to them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's the greatest question you'll ever ask. What must I do to be saved? What did the apostle say to him? Oh, how simple is that? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. How positive is the message of the gospel? How simple is the way of salvation? Friend, have you ever believed? Oh, you might say, I believe in God. Oh, yeah, you believe in his existence. Have you ever believed to the saving of your soul? Which we will come to in our last point, the privileges of the gospel. Oh, what privilege there is in the gospel. We talk, and rightly so, about giving our life to Jesus. But really, the gospel is about Jesus giving his life to you. He says, I give unto them. And Jesus wants to give you tonight life, abundant life, eternal life. And all the privileges that entails. He talks in verse 16. For it is the power of God unto salvation. The greatest privilege in the world is to be saved. And I say that for this reason, folks. Everything that you and I have tonight is temporal. You and I live in a world, you and I live in a province. When people think about nothing else but building around themselves that little earthly empire which death will take from them. The Bible says we brought nothing into this world. We'll take nothing out of it. But there's one thing that is eternal. And that is God's salvation. In Ephesians chapter 1 and the verse 13, Paul talks about the gospel of your salvation. 
And in salvation, we have the greatest privilege in all the world. Privilege of knowing our sins are forgiven and they're gone and forgotten. Such is the nature of God's salvation that he takes our sins and he casts them into the sea of his forgetfulness never to be remembered against us again. For When God saves us, he forgets that we were sinners. What a privilege. Do somebody wrong. Go to them. Tell them you're sorry. They'll say, I forgive you. But they can't forget. But God not only forgives us our sin, God forgets that we had ever sinned at all. One of the great privileges of salvation is pardon from sin. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord, for he and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Preaching one night in church, I got a phone call the next morning because I've been preaching the subject of a free pardon. And I got a phone call very early in the morning, very early. And I got up to answer it. It was this man said, I was in your meeting last night. I don't believe what you said. I don't believe in a free pardon. And I couldn't convince him. He rattled on and on and on. I set the phone. It was cordless on the bed. And I went and had a shower. And I came back and he's still at it. I sat it down again and I went and had a shave and I came back. He's still at it. There's no free pardon. Friend, pardon freely offered to all who will believe. And God says he will abundantly pardon. I don't care what your sins are tonight. They may rise up like a mountain that would crush your soul to hell, but you can have an abundant pardon. You can walk out of this meeting scot-free for every sin that you've ever committed. Because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. Not only pardon from sin, but peace with God. How important is that, folks? Paul, when he wrote to this church at Rome, in chapter 5 and verse 1 said, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace. With God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How precious is peace. Many a troubled soul tonight. Many a troubled mind. Can't find peace. Friend, I want to say this. In Christ tonight, you can have peace about your past. no matter what that past has been. Because you can have your sins forgiven, 
covered by the precious blood, never to be remembered again. How precious is God's peace. Peace about the present, that come life or come death, it is well with your soul. Folks, it's very precious to go out of this church service and at night go to our bed and sleep soundly knowing all is well. That if I never wake to greet the light of another day, it's well. You'll know the story of the Shunammite woman, the little boy in the fields with his dad, and he took ill, was taken home to his mother. She nursed him, and he died on her knee. And she went out into the fields. They sent a messenger to inquire why she was there. And he asked her three questions. He says, is it well with thee? And she says, it's well with me. Then he says, is it well with the child? She says, it's well with, or well with your husband. She says, well with my husband. And then she said, he said, is it well with the child? Now the child's dead. Yet she could say, it's well with the child. Friend, if you die saved by God's grace, it'll be well with you. But I have to say, if you die in your sin, it will not be well with you. For the Bible says, in hell the rich man lifted up his eyes being in torment. He said, I'm tormented in this place. But oh, friend, you can have peace about that. You can have peace about the present, the past, and the future, knowing that heaven will be your home. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. What a gospel. Oh, is, we can see why Paul was not ashamed of it. Are you ashamed of it? Are you ashamed to give your life to Jesus Christ? Are you afraid of what people might think or say? If they heard you got saved, why, they might laugh at me. And the fear of man brings a snare. And you're denying yourself the wonderful privileges of the gospel. It had changed Saul's life. And he became the great apostle Paul. My friend, it can change your life tonight. Mel Trotter. A notorious drunkard. Bound and chained and fettered by alcohol. It wrecked his life, almost wrecked his home. 
One day his little child fell ill. When he would finish his work, he wouldn't come home with the money to his wife to buy the children food and clothes. He'd go to the pub and he would come home drunk. And any money he got, he just drank it. And his wife, to try to make ends meet, she used to hide away a few pounds. And then one day, little child took seriously ill. The doctor was summoned, and the doctor said, look, this would be the end for your child. But what little time is left if you can get some fresh fruit, make his life as comfortable as you can. And he also prescribed a little medicine. And she went and she got these few pounds that she'd hidden away and give them to her husband and told him to go to the chemist and get the medicine. He went to the town. He didn't go to the chemist. He didn't get the medicine. He went to the pub and he got stoosh's drunk. And when he sobered up, his child was dead. It broke his heart. But he was chained by this. Neighbors were kind. And a neighbor, she bought a little pair of red shoes and she brought them in and she put them on the feet of the little child in the coffin. And Mel Trotter walked into the room And he lay himself over that open coffin and his tears dropped down onto the lifeless cheeks of his child. He was heartbroken. Then he saw the little red shoes. He slipped them off the child's feet and put them in his pocket and went out and he sold them. And he got himself stoosh's drunk. So drunk that when he sobered up he had missed the child's funeral. Oh, it broke his heart. But he was chained and he was fettered by it. And sometime after that there came a gospel mission to the area and he heard the singing and he was attracted to it. And he went in and he sat down and he heard about the gospel of Christ and what it could do for a man's life. And that night, that man was wonderfully converted and his life was so transformed that after that he went out and he opened up as many as 50 places where men who were chained by the sin that he was chained with could come and hear about deliverance saw many of their lives changed for the grace of God. That's the power of the gospel. Friend, it can save you tonight. It can keep you tonight. If you would but just believe. As many as received him, him to them give a power.
to become the sons of God. Friend, would you receive him tonight? Would you trust him? This gospel that saved Saul of Tarsus and save you tonight and save you forever. Trust him. Trust him tonight. Trust him now. Let's bow together in prayer.